and welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Our desire at Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois, is to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to our guest minister for today. Well, as I mentioned already, the, I had a lot to share that day that Dr. Ryan was here. So we just had Healing Sunday last week. You can consider this Wealth Building Sunday. <laughs> Anybody want to build their wealth? Yeah. <laughs> Little spoiler alert. You're all wealthy. Amen. You are all wealthy. But I'm taking this opportunity also because I don't know if you guys have listened or anybody has re-listened to Doc Ryan's message that particular Sunday. If you haven't, do it. I recommend it. And I don't recommend it just because he used me as an example. Um, if you were here, you might remember that. If you weren't here, go listen to the message. There were a lot of nuggets in there. I've listened to it several times, and I thought I had a good grip on it the first day. It just keeps giving and giving and giving. But the message I want to share today, I've entitled, The Grace of Giving. And I'm trying to decide whether I wait till later or ask forgiveness now for some of the things that I might say, because I'm going to say some things pretty boldly, I believe, unless the Holy Spirit reigns me in. Um, but it all has to do with finances. And based on what Doc Ryan was sharing about the fact that I am mature, I've got a history, I've got a track record. He made me a little nervous when he did that thing where he read all the requirements and I didn't qualify because I wasn't married. I was like, oh man, I'm not an elder. It's not my fault. I didn't choose it. You're going to disqualify me because I'm not married? I better go look. But then he said he would accept me as an elder and I thought, okay. I've been around a bit. I've got experience in what I'm talking about today. I'm going to share a little of my testimony. Um, if you're thinking, oh boy, he's going to tell us numbers and details, and I've been wondering where he gets his money, uh, I'm going to disappoint you. But I am going to talk specific principles, not specific numbers necessarily. But see, I've lived trusting in the Lord since 2002. I'll get into that a little bit. But this was, all this stuff was going on in my heart that weekend that Pastor Doc Ryan was here. And I've been just excited to share it. And I'm glad to be here today. So thank you. Um, if you can't forgive me now, forgive me later, please. So we're going to start out, do a little, 
little study of the scripture. This is probably going to be more teaching than preaching. There'll be some testimony, um, but we'll just see how it goes. If I could see Acts 11 and 19, we'll start right there. I'm going to read a couple, three verses here to get us going. In Acts 11:19 says, Meanwhile, those scattered by the persecution that began with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the message only to Jews. Now, before we go any further, if you're not familiar with that portion of scripture, just before that, the first part of that chapter is talking about Peter and his vision with the sheep that came down and the clean and the unclean. And the Lord showed him clearly that the gospel is for everyone. We don't decide what's unclean. God does. And God's declared it clean, especially in this new covenant. That's a whole other area of rabbit trail to go on. I'm not going to go there. But I hear people in this day and age say, oh, I don't eat that because it's, it's, it's not clean. Jesus finished the work on the cross. And you think, oh, well, that's just for us. No, that's for this world. He took care of the curse. So if you're wondering, yeah, I eat shellfish. I eat pork. I like pork. <laughs> but that's not... No. Hold that thought. I'll get back to it shortly. I'm going to read on. I don't want to confuse things by getting off script. So verse 20, please. We're talking about the people that were scattered by the persecution. And in verse 20, it says, but some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks, or Gentiles, as well, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. So what were they doing there? Proclaiming the good news. That's, that's pretty key. And as I go further, you're going to see it. Proclaiming the good news. I could ask, who proclaimed the good news yesterday? Don't raise your hand. Who proclaimed the good news Friday? Who proclaimed the good news Thursday? Who proclaimed the good news Wednesday? These people were proclaiming the good news. That's an important thought. Just tuck it in your pocket. It will become clear later. Verse 21. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So they were proclaiming the good news. The Lord was with them. People were turning to the Lord. The gospel has not changed. Our job has not changed. First of all, we've got to be doing the work that we were entrusted with. Verse 22. When news of this reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived, next verse please. When he arrived, he saw the grace of God, he rejoiced and encouraged them all to abide in the Lord with all their hearts. 
Now that, that verse is really the main verse that I want to look at for a little bit because there's some things in there that are important. It says, when Barnabas arrived, he saw the grace of God. I don't know what your idea of grace is, but some of you might have an idea of grace that makes it hard to imagine how you could see grace. Because there's a lot of people that, if you ask them what grace is, they'd be hard-pressed, really hard-pressed to explain it. And because of that, there's problems with the grace teaching. But Barnabas saw the grace of God. So, if Barnabas saw it, anybody could see it. It's tangible. It's something you can see. Can we agree on that? John 1.17 For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The first thing I want to say about grace today is grace is Jesus. Jesus is grace. If that isn't, doesn't fit your definition of grace, please meditate in the word. Ask the Holy Spirit, because I believe he'll show you the same thing. Jesus came. Grace came. Not just grace, but grace and truth came. Grace came and is present. Our part, because we have a part in it, our part is to work together with that grace. Or in other words, grace isn't something that falls on us and we receive and just enjoy. We work together with that grace. And you think, well, how do you balance that all out? Well, James 2, 26 says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Faith has works. Faith has works. Grace is Jesus. So we put them together in Ephesians 2.8. Most of you can probably quote that. If I'm in the VSB, I might throw you off a little bit. But it's, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Hallelujah. Grace and faith work together. Too much grace, you're off on a ditch. What did I say, grace over here? Too much faith, you're in a ditch on the other side. You want to go down the middle. Grace and faith working together. I've heard it from many different people, but most recently, Andrew Walmack says, sodium chloride. Sodium, if you just take sodium, it's poisonous, and it'll kill you. If you ingest chloride, it's poisonous, and it'll kill you. But if you mix them in the right proportions, sodium chloride becomes salt, and you'll die without it. 
Get off in the ditch one way, get off in the ditch the other way, you're asking for problems. There's a lot going on about this easy grace, or I don't know what they call it. Um, I had a couple ideas. Cheap grace, or greasy grace, or easy grace. That's a big problem because it's not that. It is not a license to sin. It is not permission to do whatever you please and say, oh, God's got it covered. He's dealt with it. So in a sense, he's got it covered. But see, he sent the solution, Jesus. And if you don't accept that, it's covered somewhere else. It was freely offered. And it was done on the cross. Grace and faith have to work together. Grace is not a license to live any way we want to live. And it does not give us the liberty to live for ourselves. We have to die to self. That's important, brothers and sisters. And I challenge each one of you to think in your own life, have you really died to yourself? I accepted Jesus, said a sinner's prayer as a young man. In Vietnam, I had an encounter with the Lord, and I vowed to give up my free will if he would give me his will in my life. And he honored that. And that's part of my testimony. I've been saved out of so many situations, and I look back, God had his hand on me in all of it. But there's a big but there. When I got out of Vietnam, well, in the first place, in Vietnam, the chaplain that was attached to our unit, I told him what had happened, which was an incredible, I'd like to say face-to-face -face encounter with the Lord, but actually he came up behind me and hugged me. It's like, I was afraid to turn around. I didn't, I didn't know what was back there. But I found out later it was the Lord. So I went to the chaplain that was assigned to our unit, and I explained to him, bit by bit, piece by piece, what happened to me. And he smiled, and he said, that's nice. That's all I got. So I went back to the same old mainline church that taught me a bunch of legalism, trained me in being a Pharisee, and I lived that way for 50 years. It was in Guatemala that I died to self. And that's when the Lord started giving me revelation after revelation after revelation that I had never, ever, ever seen in the Bible. And I was around the church my entire life. And I'm bringing that up as an example because I'm going to share several things about my life that may be new to some of you. But I want to encourage you. Learn from others' mistakes. Don't make them yourself to learn from them. And I'm going to be as transparent as I can be to help, help anybody, a young person, a younger, middle age, I don't care what age you are. God picked me up when I was 52 years old and sent me to the mission field, and it was about eight years later that he started really getting serious with me. And that's when I died to self, and I realized, God, 
it's us, you lead, or I'm done. I can't do it. So testimonies are important. And as I mentioned one time, we all have testimonies, but they're not really our testimony. They happen to us, but they testify of Jesus. And so that's what I want to keep you focused on today, that regardless of what I share, regardless of the principles that I share, that I saw in my life, don't look at me. Look at the Holy Spirit speaking through me and glean whatever principle you can for your life. And I'm, <laughs> I feel a need to say that because I did testify in one church one time and I got criticized for talking about myself. <laughs> it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about Jesus in me and Jesus leading and guiding me. He's looking for a heart. He's looking for a heart. I was messed up in my head as far as doctrines and beliefs, but my heart was right. And I believe that's a lot of why I am where I am today. I believe that's a lot of why God can use me the way he does. So that time between 1970 when I was in Vietnam and about the year 2010 when I was in Guatemala, those were years of toil and strife, trying to please God, trying to walk in financial doctrines, legalism at best. And I want to share with you that it's more than that. I really appreciate the wealth building portion in this body. Well, you weren't here when I thanked you. Thank you for the introduction to my message today. <laughs> you did well. In the length of time given for the wealth building, I don't know if you've experienced it. I'm sure Bob has. I have. Like, you got this amount of time, and you got this amount of subject, and how do you get it in here to make it understandable and worthwhile? So that's why we do it every week. Here a little, there a little, line by line, precept upon precept. That's why church attendance is important, because we're building on something here. We're all building and growing, and you miss a week, you miss two weeks, you only come once a month or whatever. We're going to be here. We're going to have a good time. You're going to miss out. Well, I listen online. Well, okay, but there's something about the intimacy here. I don't know if you guys are feeling it, but <laughs> this, because it isn't just us. The Lord's here. That song we've done a couple times, and we did it Friday night. The Lord, the King is in the house. Is that how it goes? The Lord is in the house, which is? King is in the room. I got the idea. <laughs> That's why I'm not on the music ministry. <laughs> the King is in the room, and he's here. And I beg you to open your hearts and hear what I'm saying today. Some of it might be a little tough. I might be a little blunt. 
Might be hard to say a few things, but I like to think of myself as a hero. And you know what heroes do. So hang on. So Barnabas saw the grace of God. Additionally, in Acts 11.23, tells us that Barnabas rejoiced. You going to show me again? Would you please show me again? Ah, thank you. For it is by grace. We're going to go back to 23 a couple times, just a heads up. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced. Why don't you just leave it up for a minute? He rejoiced. You know, there's a difference between being happy and rejoicing. And I know I don't need to tell you that. But I just want to remind you. Happiness is just an emotion and it's fleeting. Joy is a, something deeper. It's in the emotional realm. It's in your soul. Barnabas just wasn't glad that they were preaching the gospel and people were getting saved. He rejoiced. I looked it up in Webster's 1828 dictionary. To rejoice is to experience joy and gladness in a high degree. To be exhilarated with lively and pleasurable sensations. To exult. I mean, that's hallelujah time. That's some real joy. And that's what they brought to him when he saw them. So he saw the grace of God, and it brought deep emotions. Another definition in there, um, it was that he experienced joy, a glorious and triumphant state. And when I hear that word triumphant, I think about the resurrection. I mean, that was a shouting hallelujah time. That was incredible. And see, that's what God wants us to do. That's what our job is. Our job isn't just to come here on Sunday morning, get fed, and go. We got to be doing the work out there. We did Healing Sunday. Miracles are wonderful. Pastor Steve did a really good job talking about the difference between healing in divine health. I praise God, the Lord gave me that revelation years ago, like, okay, yeah, I can get healed. The Bible says I can get healed, but wouldn't it be better to live in health? I hope that's what we all want, to live in health. But that's another one you're gonna have to take and just stick in your pocket right now, because before I'm done, I hope to touch on that. So. I hope you remember where we're going. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced and encouraged them all. Encouraged, another word that caught my eye. He was joyful. He was triumphant. Wouldn't it be good enough to just say, boy, way to go? No, he encouraged them as if to say, there's more. How many know with God there's always more? Amen. I've been around for 74 years. I'm still seeing more. And I'm going to be around for a lot more. Thank you, Jesus. And I'm still looking for him. Because it's getting better and better and better. And the best is yet to come. Amen? Amen? So to encourage is to give courage to or to give or increase confidence of success. Think about that phrase. 
confidence of success. How many have had an idea only to have it stripped away by your family, your friends, or the enemy, and you lacked confidence for its success, so you didn't move forward? I have. And I'm sure the majority of this room has too, in one area or another. So Barnabas encouraged them. He gave increase, or he gave, he gave, ah, I'm trying to change tenses there. I'll just read it. To give or increase confidence of success. That's what Barnabas did. To inspire with courage, spirit, or strength of mind, or to embolden. You got to be brave. There's some things God's asking us to do if you got to be brave. You want to be a hero, you do the hard things. But they have to have a bit of bravery too. Amen? That's why we meet regularly. That's why we study the word. That's why we sit with the Lord and talk to him. Because he wants to talk to us. He wants to build us up. We have been years. I've been in this cursed world longer than almost everybody here except maybe two or three people. And I won't look at anybody. People out there in YouTube land. But I'm not ashamed of that and I'm blessed by it. Some of you younger ones we could say you haven't had as much time in this cursed world to get indoctrinated to it. But by the same token, the evil of this world is expressing itself in a way that I never experienced until now with everybody else. When I say the good old days, they may not have been the best, but they're a whole lot better than what we got going now. But see, the neat thing is, is we got to go through this. And we have promises from God. God is going to see it through to the completion. This isn't just a political thing. This isn't just warring nations. This is scripture coming to pass before our eyes. And I want to encourage each of you to buckle down, double down, whatever it takes to build yourself up. Because we've only seen the beginning. This is the beginning of sorrows, Matthew says. When these things happen that are listed there, the wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, etc., it says this is the beginning. Hey, just sit and think on that a minute. I had coffee with my daughter yesterday, and her son is um, seventh grade, junior high, and he reads the Bible. Um, I am so proud of her kids. Uh, I won't go there because that'll take up a lot of my time. But Luke is his name. I'll use his name. Luke was reading in the Bible the other morning and he asked his parents at breakfast time to explain the scripture. And I didn't get the address and I didn't take time to look it up, but his Bible read, when you see Jerusalem surrounded, the end is near. 
And he is seventh grade, just hearing a little bit of what's going on in this world right now with the attack on Israel and everything. He asked his dad, is Jerusalem, <laughs> excuse me, is Jerusalem surrounded? Seventh grade. Now I bring that up because that impresses me. I hadn't read that recently to think about that. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'll bet you a bunch of you folk didn't do it either. But see, we need to know the signs of the times. But back in Barnabas' day, they didn't know how long it was going to be. And he saw the people sharing the gospel and had great joy and encouraged them to do more. We need to encourage one another. We need to encourage one another to do more. I don't care what you're doing for the Lord. You can do more. Doesn't matter what I'm doing. I get a little busy. I have a tendency to grumble. But I could do more. The day is near. The day is coming. So, the encouragement that Barnabas gave them, what was it for? When he arrived and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced and encouraged them all to abide in the Lord. Abide. That's the other word that I want to highlight in that scripture. Abide means to rest or dwell or to continue permanently or in the same state. Where better to rest or abide than in the Lord? I know there are people in this room that, I'll, I'll use the word in a good way, religiously spend time with the Lord daily. Some could work on it a little bit. But if you want to be ready for what's coming, I encourage you. I encourage you. I urge you. I beg you. If beloved church is going to be the church that was prophesied over, we need to be at our best. It's like a, this just came to me, but it's like a basketball team or a softball, any, any team sport where they have tournaments. The goal of the season is to build them up and build them up and build them up. Not too much. You don't want them to peak until the tournament. And then you go all out in the tournament. I'm not saying hold back. Don't. You'll never peak with Jesus. There's always more. But we need to build up and build up and build up because when that day comes, there are going to be many that fail. Many that are terrorized. Not from terrorists, but from their own inside. There are going to be people that are going to die of shock, I believe, at some point. Because they're not prepared. But see, we've got that promise. Again, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I'm not picking on anybody. But who reads, rhetorical question, who reads Psalm 91 on a regular basis? I said I didn't want to see your hand. <laughs> Plus, he's in my grace group. He better. <laughs> 
Psalm 91 is incredible. The other morning, as much as I've read Psalm 91, I couldn't get out of it for over an hour and a half. The Lord just started revealing more stuff to me pertaining to this day. And I encourage you in that. Build yourselves up. How much do we need to build ourselves up? Don't limit God. Hallelujah. So abiding, just to uh, put a little more definition on abiding, Psalm 119, verse 90, said, says, Thy faithfulness is to all generations. Have you got that there or no? I think I gave it to you. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth, and it abideth. The earth is going to be here to the end. It's not going anywhere. I don't care what different groups say. I don't care how much hairspray you use, or aerosol deodorant, or whatever. God's creation is so incredible who do we think we are that we can damage it and ruin it and bring it to an end? It just can't be done. The earth will abide up until the point when God says, no more. Then we'll have a new heaven and earth. Amen. Whoa. You know we're that generation, don't you? Do I have to remind you of that? I've said it before here. I have always felt that I was going to be alive to see the return of the Lord. I had a little battle. My father died of a massive coronary when he was 47 years old. And the devil told me for a long time, I was early 20s at the time, the devil told me that was my same fate. I wish I could say my great faith, but that wouldn't be true. God in his covenant with me, when I surrendered my will to him, protected me. Amen. Do the math. My dad died when he was 47. Three, four weeks ago, I turned 74. 37, 74. Woohoo! Double! <laughs> and I got another 47 in me. Who can say amen? amen. Thank you for the agreement. Psalm 119.90, again, thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth, and it abideth. And in Acts 27.31, just for another look at how abide can be applied, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. To abide is to stay where you are. My favorite days are when I spend time with the Lord. And even though I have other things to do, he's with me. And I am conscious of his presence. The first time that really, <laughs> I don't know, it's been months ago, but I've got this one chair. That's where I go in the morning. After I've had my communion, I have a cup of coffee, and that's where I meet the Lord. And usually because of me, it takes a little while to get settled down and put some of the other garbage aside and just say, okay, Lord, it's you and me. One Sunday morning, 
I sat down in the chair and immediately, I can't say it was an audible voice, but in my spirit, I heard, good morning. He beat me to the chair. <laughs> Whoa, that will start your day right, I guarantee you. But if you don't make it a practice, not likely to happen. I'm not saying it can't, because all things are possible. But I'm trying to encourage you, and using myself as an example, of what God has for us. He's got more than we could ever dream or think. It's, um, it's wonderful to watch his promises and his, his kingdom unfold before your eyes. According to the word, we need to continue in the Lord. In other words, say it a different way, we need to be spiritually minded. You can be spiritually minded while you're washing dishes, taking a shower, cleaning the house, changing a flat tire. You just need to guard your heart. You need to guard your mind. But whatever you put in your heart, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when that little incident comes and some things come out of your mouth that you're not too proud of, just use that as a kind of a spiritual thermometer. Maybe your heart's not quite where you thought it was. We looking for perfection? Yeah, that's the goal. Is it possible? Yeah, it's really possible. But if you fail a time or two or 10 or 100 or 1,000, don't quit. Abide in the Lord. Abide in the Lord. As you continue to dwell in the Lord, those changes will take place. Your flesh will come in line. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Life in the flesh brings death and destruction. It's a truth from the Bible. Am I misquoting anything? Okay, I'll put myself before you. So we're all in agreement. Hallelujah. So just to recap, you don't have to put this up, but um, Acts 11.23, I'm going to read it one more time. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced and encouraged them all to abide in the Lord with all their hearts. So the next few verses talk about Barnabas's travels and his ministry for the next year. And we pick up in Acts 11.27, which is about a year later. And Acts 11.27 says, In those days, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. 1120, thank you. In those days, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Verse 28. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and predicted through the Spirit that a great famine would sweep across the whole world. And this happened under Claudius. Verse 29. So the disciples each, according to his ability, decided to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And verse 30 says, This they did 
sending their gifts to the elders with Barnabas and Saul. One word leapt out at me in that. Well, there's a lot in there, but one word for today. That was the word decided. Decided. They didn't say the Lord told them. They didn't say that they were compelled or they were guilted into giving. They decided. Think about that. This is Wealth Building Sunday. Well, I can't give because the Lord hasn't told me to. No, you can decide. Well, I can't give because I got this built and that's due. And um, you can decide. You can reprioritize. We have the ability to decide on our giving. Is giving spiritual? Yes. Is it a great spiritual mystery how it takes place? No. We decide. Here's an opportunity. Am I going to give or not? Might be the offering. Might be somebody's lunch in a restaurant. Doesn't matter. It's a decision. Again, Webster's 1828 Dictionary gives us a little clarity on it. It says, to determine or to form a definite opinion or come to a conclusion. So when you decide to give, you say, bless God, I'm going to give. But you don't have any money. Bless God, I'm going to give. It's a decision. And you don't be moved by circumstances. And oh, by the way, I'll get to it, I'm jumping ahead, but God promises to the giver, he'll give seed to the sower. If you want to give $1,000 to something, I won't get specific yet. Oh, and by the way, I think I forgot to mention, um, the offering buckets are safely in the treasure chest. I'm not going to do any of this for an offering. But I can't resist saying, listen to the Holy Spirit. I'll leave it at that. You can make a definite decision that you want to give a specific amount. And if you are a giver, now there was that word if, that little bitty word that's so big. I didn't say, if you just want $1,000 to spend on your greed, God's not obligated to give it to you. But if in your heart, you have it on your heart to give into some good work, and you've got a goal and have made a decision of $1,000, God's going to get it to you. How? I don't know. That's God's business. I've tried to micromanage God's business, and let me tell you, it does not work. <laughs> Hi, Luke. Glad you're here, buddy. It does not work. Let God be God, and you just know what you, do what you know to do. 
So giving is a decision, and giving is under our control. We can determine what and when we give, and if we are in a right heart, in a right relationship with God, God is faithful. I heard that somewhere today, didn't I? <laughs> God is faithful. How often? Always. always. God is always faithful. He never changes. And if you're a giver and you've purposed to give, he'll get you the seed. It may come in a check. It may come in the mailbox. I don't know how it's going to come. It'll be there. But it's like all of the faith stuff. You don't just try faith stuff one time and say, well, it didn't work, so I'm not going to do it anymore. No, you got to make it a lifestyle. I'm keeping an eye on the clock because I got some of my testimony I want to share. And I don't want to run out of time. But God's done some miraculous things in my life. I believe they are, uh, financially. So did we look at 2 Corinthians 9, 6? Okay, let's go there, please. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. That's a real simple uh, concept. I don't care whether you got a garden or a 10,000-acre farm. Sow a little seed, you get a little harvest. Sow a lot of seed, you get a lot of harvest. Can anybody fault me with that statement? I don't think so. And we're not just talking agriculture. I don't care what you sow. You sow love, you're going to get love back. You sow hate, you're going to get hate back. You sow love sparingly, you're just going to get a little bit of love. You sow hate abundantly, look out. It's coming back. Remember, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Verse 7. Each one should give what he has decided. Why doesn't that say decided up there? Is that 7? No. Verse 7, please, Hope. Each one should give what he has decided in his heart. This is confirmation. Giving is in our control. Giving is a choice. We have to decide to do it. And God is faithful to help us in that decision. Each one should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not out of regret or compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. At 74 years old, being in church all my life, first time I ever went to church, my mother took me when I was two weeks old, been there ever since, I have seen a lot of abuses in a lot of areas, but specifically in finances. The, the guilt, the condemnation, the... Mm, I'm sure you've all experienced it at some point. At some point. You give under compulsion. If you give for any reason 
other than because you have decided to give and you're cheerful about giving, as Pastor Steve said many times, you might as well just keep your money because you're not going to get anything back from it. Now, if you want to help pay the bills and throw a few bucks in the plate, that's fine. But you're not going to reap a harvest that we're talking about. See, because God's got a plan. Kingdom finances are not like worldly finances. Found that out the hard way. But I don't have time to tell you all of that. So God, verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, all times, and having all that you need will abound in every good work. There's a lot of all going on there, if you didn't notice. And you all know what all means. No pun intended, y'all. <laughs> it means all. He'll make all grace abound to you. And just one more thought on that grace. We were talking about what grace is and what grace isn't. I have a definition that I ran across. It was at, while I was a student at Karis Bible College, but for me, it helps me understand grace. And this, I hope somebody needs this. Grace is God's power and ability. Now, if you think about that, and Jesus is grace, Jesus was the representation of God on earth. And so that's not a stretch or not a bad interpretation to say that grace is the power and ability of God in this earth. Because Jesus came for that specific reason. And he conquered death, hell, and the grave. So when I run up against that word grace, or people are talking about grace, my mind's thinking power and ability of God. So for these people that want to take grace to the limit and say, well, I can do that. Doesn't matter. I can do this. I can do that. Because eh, God's grace covers me. No, God's grace is his power and ability. And his power and ability on the cross made it so you didn't have to live in this cursed world the way they, everybody else does. And if you just, I, I really feel if you take that little nugget and add it to your idea of grace, it'll help bring you in on truly what God's doing and what God wants for us. See, because it's not us. There's nothing that I have done to justify where I'm at today in my life. It's all God, and that's my testimony. I could leave it at that, but I'm going to give you a few more details if I watch the clock. So let me, we're still talking a little bit about decide. So let me give you two verses to consider. Hope if I could see Romans 10, 9 first. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Anybody heard this verse before? It's not new, right? Okay, good. The other verse, Luke 6, 38. I'm going to read the first part. Give. Who said, 
Romans 10, 9? Well, that's not a hard question. It's not a trick question. It's in the red in the Bible. Who said it? Jesus. Jesus. Okay, now maybe you learned something. Who said give? Wow, are you that timid or is my hearing gone? <laughs> you see, Jesus said them both. So I'll read the whole thing just for the benefit of, I don't know what. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap, or bosom in the King James. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. That ties right into sow a little, reap a little. Sow a lot, reap a lot. Will we agree with that? Okay, but the point is that I want to make, Jesus said... If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus said it. Now, did you wait for a voice from heaven to tell you to confess that Jesus is Lord? Or did you decide? You decided. You decided. And the other part of the verse, too. You're going to be saved. So you made a decision to be saved. Using what God provided, you made a decision and you got saved. Right? The next verse that we quoted, Luke. Jesus said, give. You don't have to wait for God to tell you to give. You don't have to seek God, go on a fast and spend days or weeks. How much do I give in the offering on Sunday? No, you decide. You decide. If I could be so bold as to say something I said that day that I was doing wealth building, grow up. Make the decision. Don't put it on God. He told you to give. He told you to confess. Just obey. It's really simple. Did you ever think how simple it is? Jesus did everything for us. Our part is to obey. That's the good news. There's nothing left for us to do because Jesus did it all. A uh, little bit, little better amen than that would help. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Jesus said both of the verses, and we didn't have to wait for counsel from heaven. We can, and we must decide, because we are stewards. That's a big word. We are stewards. I've got money in my pocket. But I came to the conclusion that it's not my money. It's God's. And I'm a steward of it. Did I always live that way? Oh, no. No. I've been poor and I've been rich. <laughs> rich is definitely better. But there's more responsibility with it, too. 
I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I got in a bad situation business-wise, and um, I won't go into any details because I don't know if that person watches YouTube, but I paid off somebody's debts because the courts ruled that I didn't legally separate myself from the situation. And the whole time my kids were growing up, from birth till they were all in high school, I was paying off court-ordered debts that weren't mine. I had done everything that I knew to do at the time to separate myself from that entity, but legally I didn't cover all the bases, so they all fell on me. I know what it's like to work multiple jobs. I know what it's like not to have cash in your pocket. I know what it's like to count the days before the next payment comes. I remember getting a phone call from my wife, which I'm trying to think how that happened. It must have been when I was at work because we didn't have cell phones then. But my wife got a message to me that if you don't bring a gallon of milk home for the kids, they got no milk. So. I, I remember stopping and mowing somebody's lawn for five bucks so that I could go and get milk and take home to my kids. I know what it's like to be broke, but I can honestly tell you I have never been poor. Now you may, there's a lot of heads going up and down, but somebody may not, you may stumble on that statement. Broke is just a financial situation. You just don't have any cash available. Poor is a mindset. Poor is a spirit. Poor is deadly. But we're stewards, and I learned that. And I praise God that he taught me that. Psalm 24, verse 1. It's one of David's psalms. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and all who dwell therein. Is there any doubt? Everything we've got is the Lord's. We're just stewards. I'm to take care of this suit. I'm to take care of the money that's in my pocket. I'm to take care of the vehicle that I drive. I'm to take care of the people that have been entrusted to me in the ministry. We're stewards. And if we could get that steward mentality, I think it would help set us free from the selfish mentality, if I can be that blunt. Selfishness is a killer. Selfishness is putting yourself first. It doesn't work well. James 1, 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, with whom there is no change or shifting shadow. Everything is God's. If you don't take anything else away today, take that away. Everything is God's. Everything we have was given to us, and we are to receive it not as a gift, but as stewards. A steward has a requirement to take care of another's property. I know you don't remember when I did wealth building last, but I'll get over that. But I talked about 
I talked about the unjust manager. He didn't take care of his man's, his boss's money very well. But we're going to look at that in a minute anyway. So if we could get a hold of the fact that we are stewards of everything, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, with whom there's no change or shifting shadow. Well, while I brought up the shrewd manager, I'll, we found that in uh, Luke 16, 1 through 13. We're not going to put the scriptures up because I don't want to take time to teach on the whole thing. But I want to recap it and remind you that he was not a good steward. He was entrusted with his master's money and he stole it. And as you study into that, he stole it for his own use and enjoyment. There's a really good case in the Bible that he was spending it on himself. He was just a thief. But when he found out that the master was about ready to relieve him of his position, he got a little nervous. And he thought, what can I do? He said, I'm too proud to beg, and I don't want to dig ditches. In other words, he didn't want to work. What can I do? So he gets this idea. He goes to all the debtors of the master and says, show me your bill. And they show him the bill, and he cuts it in half or cuts it in three quarters or whatever. He adjusts them and lowers the amount. And what was he doing in that? It didn't make him rich now, but it did endear him to the people that he relieved the debt of. And he was using this earth's resources to prepare for his future. You do that. I, the Bible only mentions two debtors. I'm sure there were many more debtors. If this master was enough to have a manager, a steward, and there were other debtors or other people that owed him. I'm sure there were quite a number. I'm not going to guess. But if he did that to everybody, think of how many people he could go to later on and say, hey, do you remember when I did that? Can you help me out? He was preparing for the future. And the interesting thing about this story, real quickly, um, is the master, if you remember, he commended the shrewd manager. The guy's a thief. He not only stole for his own gain when he was near getting caught, he stole from the master to secure his future. And the master said, well done. That's pretty good. Did anybody ever stumble on that verse before and try to figure it out? I have for years. You got that book. You'll find the answer in the book. <laughs> Andrew's got a really good explanation of it. I don't know that it's 100% because unless God spoke it to him, you know, Bible says a prophet is, a prophecy is subject to the prophet. So in Bible interpretation, I can see something one way, you can see something the other way. It doesn't mean we're both totally wrong or one's right, one's wrong. But he, he gave some revelation on it that I bore witness with. And that is the fact that this master was so rich and had such an attitude about money that it didn't really bother him that he wasn't getting all of his assets in. 
He was more impressed with the, the um, steward, the unjust steward, for preparing for his future because the master had enough. That bit that he was writing, the, the steward was writing off on the debts wasn't going to affect the master's life one way or another. And the money didn't control the master. So he could say, yeah, I see what you're doing. That's pretty smart. How many of us have the wisdom and the follow through to prepare for the future? That's one of those questions you just kind of got to let settle. Well, I go to church. Well, is that enough? I read my Bible when I can. Yeah, okay. Are you really preparing for the future? I've already talked today about we got to prepare for what's coming. We got to double down. And God's going to honor our efforts. But the manager was commenting that people of the world are wise enough to prepare for the future. I guess that's my question to you. Are we wise enough? Let's look at Luke 16, 10, and those following. Please, Hope. Because this is what comes out of this parable. And this is the hard, hard part. Whoever is faithful with very little will also be faithful with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Next verse, please. So, if you have not been faithful with worldly wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? Next. And if you have not been faithful with the belongings of another, who will give you belongings of your own? And 13, please. No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot serve both God and money. You can use money. Don't let it use you. You can serve God, and money is a big part of it in this world, but you can't serve them both. And too many people have made money a Lord. It's an idol in their life. Pastor Bob has said it from this pulpit. I have said it from this pulpit. Pastor Steve has said it from this pulpit. Money is the least thing. If you think of that prosperity handout that we do, money's not down at the bottom just because that's where it landed. The money's of the world. It's the least thing. Y'all love me? How many are believing for healing in your body? Here's the hard question. I won't look at anybody. Are you giving? If you're not faithful in the least, how can you expect the more? 
if you're not faithful in the very least, I'm not saying this is a doctrine or a rule, or don't go out and say Craig said, even though Craig's going to say it. Your healing might not manifest because your giving record. I won't even say more. You think about your giving. You know your giving. I don't know your giving. I'm so far removed from the giving in this church. The only thing I know about giving is they pass these little baskets and I plunk my money in. That's my extent on giving. But if the Bible is true, and how many can say the Bible's true? Raise your hand on this one. If you can't be faithful in the least, how can you expect the greater? That's the time to reflect. How do you look at giving? Is giving something that you're obligated to do? Is giving something that you do so that your guy sitting on your right or left knows that you gave, even if the envelope's empty? I don't know. Giving is the least, but it opens the door to the rest. I really believe that. Do you have scripture and verse on that? No, just what I gave you with the steward. But for me, that's enough. And I'd be rather be wrong in error with that and give a lot than to miss blessings because I didn't give. So at this point, I think I can do this. But I'm going to share some of my testimony, which is actually Jesus' testimony. Now, I'm going to mention a couple things, but I'm going to be as vague as possible, if you understand that. But I want to caution each and every person in here. Don't get hung up on Jesus' story through me, or to make it more clear, my story. But I'm not taking credit for it, because it's all Jesus. So don't get hung up on my experiences. Don't get hung up on my situations or anything. I'm just sharing this because I believe the Holy Spirit wants you to hear it, and he wants to give some people some hope in an area where there's not been a lot of hope, maybe. So you don't have to get hung up on things like net worth or size of gifts or amounts because I want to bring to your remembrance in Mark chapter 12, Verse 42, you all know this, but I'm going to remind you. Then one poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amounted to a small fraction of a denarius. Verse 43, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more than all the others into the treasury. So it's not about the size of your gift. It's about the proportion of your gift, if I can jump ahead a little bit. Verse 44, all the others that were giving in this offering, they contributed it out of their surplus. But she, out of her poverty, has put in all she had to live on. Now, I know the Bible leaves out a lot of details, because if it didn't, the books wouldn't fit in this room. But I'll guarantee you that widow didn't starve to death. That wasn't her last offering. God gave seed to the sower. 
She'd probably live in better after she gave those two mites. Think about it. We've all been moved by circumstances when it comes to giving. I can say that with all confidence. I've been there myself. But if Jesus is Lord and he says to give, what should we do? Give. Pretty simple. So I know many people have wondered, since I really haven't had a job since you met me, thank you, Jesus. The last W-2 wages that I filed income tax on before I went, well, it was before I went to the mission field. Let me say it right. The last one before I started here, because I get some W-2 wages here. It's part-time, pay some gas money. But up until that time, from 2002, until I got here and got part-time wages for my position, I got no guaranteed income. It was all donation. And it wasn't just to live on. We believed, Peggy and I, believed for money to run our mission, facilities, supplies, everything, to do the work of the Lord full time, and to live, and we had no guaranteed money, nothing guaranteed, but God. I tried itinerating because they told me Missionaries have to itinerate. And it didn't ever sit with me because, number one, I don't like sales. Number two, I'm called to full-time missions. And you want me to go back and promote my mission and raise funds for two months out of a year so I can go back and do full-time ministry for 10 months. Doesn't work. I didn't like it. And after the second attempt... And by the way, I lost money in the process. It cost me more to travel than it did than I got for proceeds. I talked to my wife, and we agreed, and we talked to the Lord and said, Lord, you sent us. You said you'd provide. Thank you for your provision. We had months where our giving, it always met the need, maybe a little low. But then again, I had months that were five figures of income to run the mission and our personal expenses. So I'm not a stranger to living by faith in the area of finances. I'm not a stranger to trusting the Lord for receiving finances. I can testify that God's word is true. My wife, <laughs> bless her heart, she taught me everything I know about giving. <laughs> when I was sweating and toiling trying to make ends meet, She's giving money away. <laughs> what are you doing? Payday is like way out there. I want to give. She, you talk about somebody that loved to give. My wife. That got on me. That got on me. One time when I was in Guatemala, I got this donation from a guy that I knew. Um, well, I'll just throw a name out. It might be his name. It might not be. Probably is. Bruce. I got a donation from Bruce and an email. And you know how you can read an email and know, them, know when they're angry? His email was angry. 
And he says, here, I put this money in your account. And use it however you want. And that was it. And I thought, okay, this isn't the way Bruce usually gives. So I talked to Bruce and found out that he was angry because my son, who's no longer with us, by the way, but at the time he was a floor installer, Bruce wanted a little bit of work done. My son did it and would not give him a bill. Bruce says, I want a bill. I want to pay you. I'll get to it. And Todd kept putting him off. And finally, it got to be an annoyance. So Todd went out to the truck and just scribbled down a few numbers and give it, there's your bill. He had nothing to justify it. He was just trying to get him off his back. That's, but he said, I don't want the money. I won't take the money. I'll throw it on your driveway. That's when Bruce sent it to me. So, so I talked to my son. I said, what are you doing? You're getting my donors all upset and everything. He says, hey, it worked out perfect. He says, I got to bless Bruce by doing a job for free. Bruce, even though his attitude wasn't quite right, he blessed you with money. He says, I know what you're going to do with it. You're going to give it all away. So there's four groups going to get blessed out of this. And that's just how God works. I wouldn't recommend that system, but I think it's a good story. But it's true. It's not just a story. But anyway, I've got to the point where I love to give. Now, I told, I asked Ryan's permission. He has no problem with it. Um, he mentioned something the Lord showed him at the conference last week, and it had to do with imagination. And I've had an active imagination. Even when I was in my broke days, I always believed that someday I was going to be a millionaire. I don't know if anybody's thought that or not. Maybe I'm just the only weird one. But I've always believed that I was going to be a millionaire. And I believed that when it didn't look possible at all. Um, but with imagination, you have to see something before it comes to pass. We happen to have a book out in the Free Materials Ministry, a little, little advertisement, The Power of Your Imagination. It's amazing. It's powerful. This is the only little hint I'm going to give you. Last year, my net worth was more than a million dollars. And those were all liquid assets. I could have cashed everything in in a matter of two days and had a pile of money sitting here. Wasn't tied up in timed um, certificates, wasn't tied, tied up in land, wasn't tied up in structures. It was one plus. It was more than one million. So I could say I was a millionaire. But notice I said was. I'm not now, so don't worry about it. <laughs> Had a few downturns. But God's there. I still haven't had to get a job greeting at Walmart or flipping burgers. But I love to give. This year, I tried to figure out what I've given just this calendar year. I can't do it. I have no idea. I know from verifiable giving that would come on like giving receipts or giving statements like to the church or other ministries and that. Anything that I can verify would be somewhere between four 
in five times of my average income for the last 10 years. Now you can put whatever numbers you want with that. I told you I wasn't gonna get real specific. But that's the level that I'm giving at now. And it's fun. It is fun. I don't know how much I've given. I have no idea. But it doesn't stop me. I've got two financial advisors. One deals in the world finances, and the other is my father. I had something I wanted to do a while back, and I went to my financial advisor in the world, and I said, I want to withdraw this much. He says, oh, he said, I don't know if I'd do that. And I said, why not? He said, well, he says, you want to sustain your income, and you know, got all these legal terms and all this stuff. And I says, well, I already checked with my other advisor, and he said, do it. So I smiled and said, do it. If I'm going to believe one or the other, I'm going to believe the Lord. So how do you give if you don't even know what you give? There's a lot of ways. You can pay things forward for people. Pentecostal handshakes. I love to throw a bill on the counter and buy whatever I'm buying and then tell the cashier, spend the rest on the people behind me, as long as it'll last. I don't know how many times I've done that. I've left cash on people's tables. I've left cash tucked in places where they might not find it for a while. I just have fun doing it. I donated into a whole missions trip one time for every participant and didn't sign my name. I had a blast having them tell, well, I was on that group, so I paid myself one too, so they couldn't figure it out. But everybody saw, did you, did you, did you? No, I don't know, yeah, I did. I just had a blast listening to that. It's fun to give if you don't, can't figure it out. That's what I'm trying to say. It is fun to give. It's the Lord's doing, it's not mine. So why am I so blessed? I already told you one of them is I imagined it. I imagined being having all my needs met and having enough to give to every good work. But then one time I asked the Lord, and he reminded me. Now this is where you want to be careful what you hear. And I'll tell you why after I read it. Can we look at Mark 10, 29 and 30, please? 29 first, obviously. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the gospel, verse 30, will fail to receive a hundredfold in the present age. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields along with persecutions. Yeah, we kind of skip over that one, but... Well, they're there too. I can testify. I got testimonies of that too. And in the age to come, eternal life. I asked the Lord, Lord, when we came out of Guatemala, I said, Lord, why are we so blessed? We came back thinking we were going to do a one-year sabbatical. That sabbatical hasn't ended. I mean, I did get appointed to this position. I praise God for what I'm doing now. I didn't go looking for work, but God's provided God has provided, if you don't hear anything else, God has provided. He's faithful, faithful, faithful. Mm. When I asked him that question, he gave me this verse. And I said, Lord, 
that's your promise coming true in my life. Now, here's the caution for everybody sitting here. Because somebody, I know somebody, and probably more than one, said, yeah, but I've never been in full-time ministry. I never went to foreign mission field. I don't care. You're in the Lord's service. I don't care what you do. I can look around the room and name things you might teach. Kids you don't like. <laughs> I like kids. But I, can, I understand what you're saying. And you know what God did to us in Guatemala? Weekly kids ministry, 350 head. I tolerate them really well. <laughs> but it might be teach in a school. It might be drive a truck. It might be drive a truck and farm. Who knows? But see, if you're serving the Lord and your heart's right, God's promises will never fail you. You don't have to dig up and go to the mission field. But we did. But that's what God had us for. And I know why. I had to be in that position to die to myself because that's where my Christian walk really started back around 2010, 2011. God is so good. And when I see his promises coming true in my life, it emboldens me. It gives me courage to step out. Some of us don't have courage to step out because we've never so much as taken a little step. Try it. Try it. A little more all the time. His promises are real. The other thing, and you all know this, I'm going to go through it really quickly because we're coming down to the end. But the other thing in, in the area of finances is the parable of the sower. It's found in Matthew 13, Mark 4, and Luke 8. And I'm just going to read real quickly Matthew 13 account. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow a seed, and as he was sowing, some fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. And some fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun rose, the seedlings were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the seedlings. And still other seed fell on good soil and produced a crop a hundredfold, sixtyfold, and thirtyfold. That parable is for everybody. I don't care if you give a buck or a hundred bucks. You give it in the right heart, into good soil, you're going to get it back. Amen. And it's not just money. It's anything. Amen. This world, the kingdom, operates on a seed time and harvest principle. And it never, never fails. So, to close, and I told you we're not taking an offering, but I just want to mention something here because I feel to mention it. You remember when Pastor Rich was here? You remember his message? Can you give me one word out of his message? Covenant. Thank you. Covenant. If you haven't re-listened to that ten times, I encourage you. On first listen, you might think that was a simple message. That was profound. That was profound. I went to end our grace group one night, and we had play, I had played his message for our grace group, and I thought after we saw it and talked about it a little bit, 
that would end it, but a question came up and we were there for another hour. That's a rich message. And it was straight from the throne room, so I encourage you. But looking back on everything I've shared, giving is a decision. Jesus told us to give. So all you really need is to make a decision to give. Pretty simple. Now, if you want some suggestions, we can go from now till 2 o'clock. <laughs> but I mentioned Pastor Rich and his covenant message for a reason. Anybody knows it rained for three days? And we were open and honest when we bought the ark building that it had roof problems? Could you tell it was raining? Yep. <laughs> Jesus said, give. We need to make a decision. We're in covenant on that building. And this isn't to drum up funds, but this is to encourage you, to give you courage. If you need a nudge, Maybe you think you're given all you can give, but look around in the dark corners of your wallet or your checkbook or in that drawer you don't get in often or under the seat of your car. I don't care where you find money. Stretch yourself, make a decision, and test the Lord. He said you could test the Lord, and the Lord said you could test him in finances. In Malachi, he says, try me. If you make a conscious decision to give, and I'm only suggesting the ark, not I, Mitchell didn't put me up to this, nobody put me up to this other than the Holy Spirit. We're in covenant on that school. And we can pray till the cows come home and say, Lord, send money. You know where the money's at? It's in our wallets, in our purses, in our checking accounts, in our savings accounts. There's money enough to pay for that roof. And I'm only mentioning it, please, please, please hear me. I'm only mentioning it because we've looked at giving, not from a mechanical standpoint, but from a heart position. Christianity is all about the heart. If you want to practice getting your heart right in the area of giving and God shows himself faithful, you might get that healing you're looking for. Now, I'm not saying that's cut and dried rule, but there's a good possibility that if you can't be faithful in the little, how can God trust you with true riches? There, I said it. So concluding real quickly. 2 Corinthians 9 and 6. Did I give you those, Hope? Okay. We're going to go through them pretty quickly. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap also sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. I'm just putting this in to remind you. Your harvest depends on the seed sown. Verse 7. 
Each one should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not out of regret or compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In case you didn't hear me mention it, giving is our decision. We don't have to wait for God to talk to us. He's already told us to give. Verse 8, And God is able to make all grace, his power and ability, abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That's a big promise. I put a couple scriptures in here uh, just um, to support 9.8, and it's Philippians 4.19. says, My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Whose riches? His riches. What does he own? Everything. Matthew 6.33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. There's your priorities. Get your heart right. And all these things will be added unto you. What things? If you read before that, it's things like food, things like clothes, all kinds of stuff. It's a promise from God. Try him. 2 Corinthians 9, 9. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Jesus is quoting a psalm right there. It's the Psalm 112, verse 9, which says he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever, and his horn will be lifted high in honor. Your giving glorifies God. He gets a big bang out of that. Verse 10, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your store of seed and will increase the harvest of your righteousness. If we are givers, God will be sure that we have seed. But remember, what determines whether you're a giver is not what you put in the bucket or what you hand to somebody. This is what decides if you're a giver. It's your heart. It's all about the heart. And verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous on every occasion so that through us, your giving will produce thanksgiving to God. God increases riches to be used for his glory and for the good of people. Amen? Okay, remember, giving's our decision. Our attitude is to be cheerful. If we're givers, God will give us seed. And our giving brings glory to God. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you even more for your promises. I thank you for your faithfulness. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, for helping each one of us to receive a deeper, greater, more wonderful revelation of your financial structure in the kingdom. Father, we desire to flow in it, and we thank you that it is something that we can attain as long as we stay right with you. And we thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.
Hallelujah. Well, if you'll stand to your feet, I'll speak a blessing over you. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the beloved family of God and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.